in a way, the finance team and the PR team, the HR team, and they are absolutely fundamental to running that business. And they are you know, as, as important, if not more important, the architects. Welcome to the second episode of the Business of Architecture and Design, where we rejoin our host, Angela Ferguson, Managing Director of Future Space, and our first guest, Make Architects, Ken Shuttleworth, who talks more about his practice's management structure and how it manages cash flow. And now, over to Angela. It does sound like your reputation and existing goodwill, I think, had a lot to do with the success of that startup yeah, process. Yeah, I think so. Um, what about when it got to the crash? Was there ever any some really dicey times there or how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think the reputation, um, you know, had 30 years of fosters, you know, you, it's not like a sort of startup and coming out of college. So I think that was that was but the beneficial part of that was about the last decade I had spent at fosters, you know, looking at the London market and being involved with London. So I think that that reputation in London was actually just carried us through into make. And then when it came to 2008, um, I saw that it was going to be a huge problem. And I talked to quite a lot of people. Um, How did you see it? How did you I know? Just, I just... You know, there was a there was a run on one of the banks, um, two thousand eight, uh, called Northern Rock, and it was a small bank in North of England. Nobody thought too much about it, and then there was whole prime um, subprime uh, stuff going on in the states. And I just got this feeling, and I was the only one in the office who felt this. There was mm. going to be a crash, um, so we stopped recruitment, even though people. Were f- dying to have more people um streaming out for that we start recruitment we cut out coffee we cut down on flowers all the stuff you know you'd normally do um and then it happened you know <laughs> and it happened in um when lehman's went down basically that was the moment that they remember the roadrunner where the roadrunner runs off the edge of the cliff so the wily coyote runs off the edge of the cliff and then when he looks down he doesn't he plummets when he looks down but he's, you know, he's and i felt a bit like that some people were all running off the edge of the cliff but until we actually looked down we hadn't realized um but I'd already knew that. So 2008, when Lehman's went down, was that was the moment when I put the um, got everybody together, and I said, um, "There's going to be a huge problem here. Lehman's, you know, major bank, um, and our clients are going to suffer. Not just us. Our clients are going to suffer." So I think it was a hundred. We had about 190 people at that moment. It's quite a lot. It's a lot. lot of people, yeah. And we went down. Um, so I said, "If you want to take a sabbatical, you want to work two days a week, three days a week." Um, Whatever you want to do, you know. Did many take you up on that? Yeah, so we had we reduced by forty five right. people without any problem really at all. We had made money, so we were able to sort of pay redundancy off, and they uh, went off and one made shirts, one did work for somebody else, one built his father's house extension. You know, people did other things for that for that time, and quite a few of them came back when it picked up. But I think that great thing about being employee-owned is that you can actually just share that with everybody. It's not just my problem, it's everybody's problem, and they all got it. Um, mm. And they were starting to see ways of actually trying to make um, inroads. Um, so China was, the, as I said, you know, that was happening at that time as well. So we went to China, we had guys go to the Middle East, um, we had, you know, we shrunk back in terms of what we were actually doing. We um, Some people went down to two days a week, four days a week, whatever it was they wanted to do. And we were very, very flexible about that. And I think it was you know, a way of keeping everybody together. We froze salary increases that year as well. It sounds like a very um, sort of open and communicative and flat yeah. management structure as well. Yeah, I mean, it is because employee only is pretty flat. We have, um, you know, we obviously said there's four directors, but we don't really meet. I mean, it's, you know, every, we just share everything. So we'd, we'd have a Friday meeting, just share the, the figures. Everybody has access to it, all the figures. Um, the only thing we haven't shared is salaries. 
um, but everything else that people can get to on our system. And so that's graduates right up yeah, to absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone. Everybody can see it. And I, and I think that's important because you've got to know, you know, they have to understand. Um, are they interested in that information though? Some of them are, yeah. I mean, yeah. I obviously get ones who are really fascinating, want to make sure that, you know, they get the most amount of money every month for their people. And other people don't care at all. In fact, they wouldn't care if they didn't get paid. You know, they're just, they're just, you know, just head down being an architect. And the fact you get paid is a sort of bonus, really, <laughs> to some people, um, which is great. You know, so you have this sort of, you know, people across the office um, sort of balance each other out. You know, some are interested, some are not. But I think everybody gets the fact that they need to make sure we generate enough money every month to pay the salaries. And that's where I say, you know, they don't earn more than, spend more than you earn. And it's a cash flow business. We have to earn the money to pay the staff. Mm. It's just really that simple. If you don't earn the money at the end of the month, you've either got to borrow it, which we don't have done, or you've got to come out of your uh, reserves to pay the pay the salaries. Um, so it's trying to match, you know, the problem you have as architects is matching the um, the cash flow coming in to the number of people you've got. And, you know, you have a phone call, which means you've lost a project or won a project. So you either need 10 people or nobody mm. or minus 10 people in one phone call and they can happen in yeah exactly and you, and one phone call 24 yeah. hours and it's like a sort of it's like this all the time isn't it yeah so you're going up and down up and down up and down with workload and the staff is sort of a constant level and it goes up and down a little bit we try not to you know the staff you can't really follow the curve with the staff because you keep sacking people hiring people sacking but you can't do it so that's the problem we have is trying to always make sure we have the right number of people for the against cash flow um and ideally you know, it would match it and we'd always be running a bit harder than we need to to actually have a slightly less people than we need to give us a buffer against mm. losing a project. So often we've got quite small teams and they're working they're working flat out um, just to give us that little bit of buffer in case as a sort of we lose a project. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, technology mm-hmm. and where you see this heading. You talked before about starting off drawing with rotting pens. Yeah. Uh, and then computers have obviously changed that process a bit. Uh, and now I think we're starting to look at really new technologies like VR and AR. How have you seen technology evolve and where do you see it heading? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was brought up on the drawing board and, we you know, we just did drawings on tracing paper. Uh, that changed after Hong Kong Bank, which is 85, 86, where we suddenly got this computer. It was one computer. And it was sitting in the end, end of the office uh, with two massive screens. It was like a, uh, like an old sort of Wurlitzer in a cinema. And there was only one guy could operate it. And we used to sort of give him the drawings and he used to put them in. And it sort of changed, you know, reasonably quickly to sort of one on everybody's desk, probably in about five years. And people getting to understand how to use it. Um, and, you know, it's a totally revolutionised the way we, we work. So, you know, anybody who thinks we should still be drawing by hand, um, completely by hand, you know, is really a dinosaur. And the dinosaurs, you know, whatever happened to them. <laughs> so, um, you know, we still sketch on paper. We still, Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. you would still sketch, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, and I've still yeah. got a sketchbook. And, we, you know, we're now sketching on the machines. So we've got uh, these tablets where you can sketch directly onto machines. Mm. Um, with, a, you know, Google Pro or, um, you know, InDesign, those sort of things. Um, but I think it's, you know, so everything we do goes through the computer. Everything comes out of the computer. Everything's printed from the computer. Where we're moving now is into 3D printing. So we've got these 3D printing machines for making models, which are fantastic. And we've got about a dozen of those, and we'll probably have 100 of them at some point. Um, 100 3D printers? Yeah, we've got, we've got about a dozen. Wow. We keep buying more, and we're going to have more and more. And are you using more. all of them? Or are yeah, they, they're going yeah. all the time. They run day in, day out. We produce wow. thousands and thousands of models. Um, and you know, what's really good in the old days, you know, you used to build a 40-story tower 
one to five hundred, and it used to cost about you know four grand or something like that, and take three months to build. Now it just takes you do it overnight, and it costs you know a pound, if mm. that. So we do more of them. <laughs> Probably we need to, but there's thousands, thousands of them. And then we've now into um, VR. So we've been working with the people in the game industry, and we've got guys in the office who've been in the gaming industry, and they um, computer games, and they are absolutely phenomenal and they are literally thinking three dimensions they are maneuvering things in their heads in three dimensions um and we get to the point now where we are we did a presentation last week on a hotel project where we didn't have any drawings at all we just did the whole thing in vr so they got the client put the goggles on and we took them through all the rooms all the layouts um and you can walk into bathrooms you know you can open the drawers you can open the bathroom cupboard you can go into the wardrobe open the wardrobe and you can move around the whole the whole room, and you can change all the colours, you know, from one to the other straight away. And you can choose, you, know, you can talk about that. Um, I think VR for me is the first time you can actually see a project. You know, when you look at a, you know, the old perspectives there used to be this um, line of there were lies, damn lies, and architects' perspectives because they always used to cheat. Always used to cheat. Um, you can't cheat anymore. There's nowhere to cheat. You know, you're actually seeing the project for the first time full size and you can walk into it and you can see what it's going to be like um, you can drop it into a street model um, so you can really get a fantastic impression I think for the first time what it was actually going to look like mm. um, and I think we're you know, not quite to the point where we're designing in 3D in, in VR but we've got the kit we could do it if we work we just need to move to the next next stage where you can actually you can draw it three-dimensionally in the air with the paddles and you can download that straight into Revit then you can work on it in the computer um, and I think that's the next step. And I think, you know, I think within five years, um, we'll all be in VR. We'll be presenting in VR. All the client's body will have VR headsets, headsets on. All the planning authorities will be sitting there with headsets on. Um, I think it's going to be the next big step. And we love it. Absolutely love it. But there's still something to be said for those old-fashioned values of being able to draw and create. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the VR will never replace that creativity, No, I think it's it? a tool. I mean, I, you know, I still think, you know, we... We set up something called the Architecture Drawing Prize. Um, there are quite a few entries actually from Australia, which is really for me to sort of um, to celebrate drawing. So there was a prize for hand drawing. There was a prize for um, a sort of hybrid drawing between computer and um, hand drawing. There's a prize for computer drawing. So the three prizes, and we sponsor this every year with the Sone Museum and um, with the World Architecture Festival, and it's been so successful. But it celebrates drawing, I think, as part of the process of architecture, whether it's you know. I mean, I love hand drawing. You know, you can't get away from it. But you know, some of the guys on the computer are just as skilled at coming up with things. You know, using the computer than I am by drawing. They they think they use it as a tool as well. It may look like it's like the finished project, but actually, it's just a it's just a sketch. It's just different parts of the brain. It's just isn't the it? way they work. And yeah. they did they they might sketch something out and then rotate. They might just draw one bit of it and rotate it round and you know explode it out. And they they, and they are thinking about it in the way I would as well. But they're just using the computer and they can't. Some of them can't draw. You know, with a with a pencil. But I think that, I don't think you can just say that's not right. It's actually fantastic they can do that. It's just different. It's just a different, you know, different generation. So how often do you draw these days? Oh, every time. Yeah, I've got my book. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, all the time. Sketching, drawing, um, and a quite great thing. Now I can sketch um, either on a, an iPad or in my book. I, and I, I tend to photograph the, the drawings in my book and then send them across on the email for guys to work on. And I quite enjoy. Uh, that the fact you can do that and you know and you can just and again with 24 hour working um you know you can have things being worked on in different parts of the world so you can quite quickly get to a scheme um just from a sketch uh so ken so the business has grown quite quickly in the time 
that you've been around, so 15 years, so it's mm-hmm. a pretty significant growth. And you have a, an operations heart of the business, which you call the core. Yep. So when did this kick in and how do you work with them and what sort of what sort of information do you need from them to be able to have some transparency about how the business is operating? Yeah, I mean, we call the core team, um, so the HR, uh, finance, the uh, PR communications team that people look after the building, the sort of... Um, the facilities people, um, the the core includes the computer guys, and um, you know, and also that team in a way is you know they're not the architects; they're the sort of the, what other offices are called the backup or the sort of support offices or the non-fee earning or something ridiculous like that. Um, I thought of it more like a sort of if you think of a, a, a tall building. Um, and you've got a core down the middle of it, which is basically making it stand up. Without the core down the middle, the building will fall over. And around the edge, you've got the cladding, which is all going all frilly, and it goes in and out, and it's all over the place. But actually, the core is the vertical thing that actually holds it all together, it's like the backbone, I suppose, of a, of a building. And I think it's just a really good word because it's, you know, in a way, the finance team and the PR team, the HR team, and they are absolutely fundamental to running that business. And they are, you know, as, as important, if not more important, the architects. So they are... We don't call them the backup or the support or the non-fear and anything like that. They're basically called the core team. And it means a lot, I think, as an architect to understand that is the core is like really, really important. And I think that's that sort of philosophy then has made that them feel much more integrated with the practice. Um, you know, other people who've been at other practices where they, they get called, you know, non, non-fee earners, you know, really don't feel very important. Um, so for us, it's really important they feel part of the business and they are, you know, very well respected within the business and they um, they all, um, you know, really contribute to what we do. And without them, you know, flaky architects would not get it right. So so for me, the finance team, they take all the figures, they, they analyse the figures, and we have a, a spreadsheet that's completely live all the time with the salaries, um, the outgoings against the income, we have the projects are all listed, uh, the income per month is listed against that, and then we add them all up and we know exactly where we are every moment of the, of the day, uh, all the way through the year. And, then as, and that changes all the time, so it's completely updated. So that's the finance team's job is doing that and getting invoices out, um, and I think that they have to go around and talk to people because the architects are hopeless telling, you know, telling the finance team what's actually happening. Um, they so like you know. to underbill as well too, don't they? <laughs> the architects. Yeah, I think they they think we, you know, we should we, we you know we don't deserve that money this month, so let's let's bill less. And I think, well, let's have it in the bank. <laughs> exactly. That's what the client's prepared to pay, and at least gives us a bit of a buffer. Um, so I think it's, it's that side of it which is you know is absolutely fundamental. So the finance team. Um, so Barry Cook, who came originally, um, was the finance director, and then when he retired, actually his daughter took up the the uh, land. So Laura Cook is our finance guru, um, and she's fantastic, and she looks after looks after us, and she's thinking about the business as well in terms of whether we should be moving money into you know different currencies and all that sort of stuff. Um, and again, so the, the, all the money from Hong Kong and, and Sydney gets looked after in London on this one. So there's one team doing that. It's only about three of them, two or three of them. Um, but that's obviously fundamental to the, to the practice. And in HR, um, there's two people in that. One's called and Camilla Neve is running that. And she's um, she's been with us about five years and she's fantastic. Um, and she looks after everybody, knows everybody's name, knows what they're all doing. You know, she's basically making sure everybody's looked after and, uh, and, the, and the packages are right. And the packages are very generous in terms of uh, benefits and insurances and medical care and um, dental care and eye care and... Um, 
Is yeah. it consistent around the world? You would have different rules and regulations, wouldn't you, per country? I think there's a different, there's slightly different rules here, but yeah. you know, generally it's, it's 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 expensive to employ people here. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, we found out it's quite expensive, um, but we we know we still have the same. We're still trying to do the same thing, so we still try and give everybody the same benefits, whether here or in in London. I think there's slightly more benefits here, isn't it? But generally, it's you know, it's, it's trying to do the same across the world, basically. And that's so uh, that's really important in terms of the the um, the communications is really important. Um, that's that's a very small team. It, it changes over time, but there are some part time people, some full time people. That includes writers, uh, includes graphics people, um, includes people who are looking after social media. Um, goes a hoot suite looking after social media. What's actually going on on a daily basis? Uh, looking after the website. Um, you know, and also thinking ahead, and and that team um, led by Dara Hearn looks after you know th- sort of I would say sort of thinking um, beyond what we normally do. So we have something I said the Architects Drawing Prize, but we have another thing called the Future Spaces Foundation, which is a um, a foundation that we set up, which is all about beyond the day job. It's like thinking beyond the day job into other things that you know affect the built environment so we've done a we've got a think tank put together to look at that and as we've done three studies on that over the three three or four years we've been doing that um and that's been that's been really handled by by communications thinking actually you know of the platforms that we talk on and the way we we think about it. so it's just beyond just general comms and pr it's much more than that and again you know that's a very close relationship between the top of the office and and comms you know it's actually because that's what it's all about, really making sure the reputation is there and the reputation is not damaged and the reputation is looked after. Mm. Um, so it's really important on that, on that front as well. If you are serious about leading your architecture or design business, you can't afford to miss Peter Verwa at the Business of Architecture and Design Conference in Sydney on November the 11th. Peter will outline vital information on growth opportunities, give you insights into working with international clients and predict where your business opportunities lie over the next three to five years. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He thinks at a speed is just superhuman. That was Adam Haddo, Principal Director, SJB Sydney. If you run a business in the built environment industry, this keynote is essential. Register now at australiandesignreview.com. So did you consciously think about that brand that is Make or was that something that happened organically? No, I was thinking, I thought, um, you know, Make is a really strong word. I mean, it's mm. a fantastically strong word. And, it, and I, you know, when I, as we didn't mention this, but I mean, I didn't come up with the Make word myself. It was done by Wolf Owens. Um, and they they started off by encouraging me to use my own name. Well, I convinced them we're not going to use my name. And then I, I'd been through like, oh, you know, 4,000 names in the, in the Theosaurus uh, and never come up with make at all. There's loads of names, but not make. Um, and they came up with make, and it was fantastic. You know, as soon as they come up with it, that's it, brilliant. Um, and it's it's just been really, you know, because it's sort of in a way, you know, we make buildings. We don't, you know, we don't. We sort of part of the making process, making buildings. We make models. You know, we, it makes such a fantastic name. And it's you know, it's it's all over the world, um, which is great. And then in terms of your pipeline of projects. What do you do to build that pipeline? Is it mostly marketing? Is it relationships? Do people come to you? Yeah, I don't think we do any marketing. Um, we do, 
we do public relations. So right. we're trying to build up platforms rather than just going to direct marketing. That's you know, we, hard to measure though too, isn't it? Yeah, much more difficult. But I mean, we have, you know, we have an annual that we produce every year that goes out to loads and loads of people. We have um, a book called The Exchange Programme. We just started, we just done one on offices. Um, as we've done, we do... Um, the drawing architecture drawing prize the future spaces foundations all these things build up a sort of profile and then we have um obviously long-term relationships with people going back over decades um and decades and and i think that's important and then there's then new relationships being created all the time so i think it's you know some people phone us up because they, they've heard about us some people we've known you know we get onto lists because we're known um some people are people we've known for many many years who uh, have a pipeline that we sort of tap into um you know but the reputation is really important you know the 85 projects you know the reputation is really important to to maintain that you know you can't afford to have you know one that goes wrong you have to always maintain that quality on each project to get the next one so then the culture of the business is really important too isn't it because that culture is building and protecting the reputation yeah yeah. I think the culture of the business is, you know, is absolutely fundamental to the success of it. The, the fact it's employee-owned has meant that the everybody's part of that culture. Everybody buys into it. Everybody's, you know, feels it's theirs, and they are promoting the project, the, the, the business, you know, as if it's their own. And I think that sort of the sharing, you know, they're not spending too much money on on you know, extravagant things because it's their own money. I think all that has really built up this this whole process of, um, you know, trying to do the best. And you know, and we. Basically, I mean, the, the, the reason Make was set up was to design the best building spaces, places in the world. That's what we set up to do. We're not going to try and do second best. Um, you know, we want to do the best. And not, we don't want to be the biggest. We just want to be the best. And so every day, you know, we think about how each project is the best we can possibly do for that site. Um, you know, in that moment in time for that particular client, you know, with the sort of culture that goes with it, um, to make sure it makes money. Uh, you know, those those the things we on each project are framed around um making sure this project is the best we possibly can do right now on that site for this particular client and do you meet every new recruit yeah i do all the recruitment myself yeah yeah, yeah. that would be almost a full-time job i would think why well, can be i mean there's, there's a priest um you know some of the people do a pre-interview sometimes um other times i just interview them direct there's quite a few on, on especially in australia over the over the machines um, early in the mornings or late at night um, but I prefer to meet people face to face, and I, I literally recruited everybody personally. So, because you know, you want to make sure the people fit in. You know, I mean, you might be a fantastic architect, but if you don't fit in, if you're going to be a prima donna, or you're not going to, you know, enjoy working with other people, or you, uh, you know, you'll think your name should be on the business. You know, it makes not for you. If you, you know, enjoy working with people, you want to explore design. You haven't got any preconceptions. Um, you like, you know, you're sociable. Like, like being with people. You know, it works really well. And you get good at it after a while too, if you've done yeah. quite a few. Well, I, I did most of the recruitments of fosters as well. All right. <laughs> so I did for about twenty years. I did all the recruitments of fosters. Um, so yeah, I've, you know, you can get a good feel for it, and and some of the questions are a bit off. You know, there's no real pattern to it. But you know, one question might be if I haven't quite sussed somebody out is, uh, you know, who's your favourite comedian? That's and a that, good one. It's always an interesting one because, you know, if they say Jim Carrey, you know, you know they're a bit mad. If they say, you know. The two Ronnies, you know, they're a bit old-fashioned. And you can almost sort of gauge them by, you know, just asking who their favourite comedian. And often it, costs, it always catches them off, off guard as well, so you get a sort of honest, straight answer. Um, Who's your favourite comedian? I've got loads, actually. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, I was Monty Python. So Monty right, Python yeah. for me would still be the... Classic. <laughs> number one. We go to work to have fun. 
you know, you could work at home, you could work, you know, on the machine at home, but you go to the office because it's a fantastic place to go. There's great, lots of great people there. Um, you know, you go because you can be sociable, you go to flirt, you know, you go all these things that you go to the office for um, and to be part of a sort of process that, you know, you enjoy being. And as an architect, pulling everybody together, the engineers come to us, the client comes to us, you know, you're actually sort of balancing out. It's, it's much better to do it in a studio or in a workplace than actually, you know, stuck in a in a cupboard at home. Um, so for me, it's, it's you know, that, that mix of people is important. So, uh, so when I recruit people, you know, you're looking at a... You're trying to get a sort of mixed people. So we have, you know, we have a, a wide range of nationalities. We've got 22 nationalities in the office um, out of 148. It's quite quite a big mix of people. We have so people all over the world come. We have a split male-female is about 60-40, um, which is pretty good in our profession. Um, so male 60%, yeah. female 40%. Yeah. That is pretty good, actually. Yeah. yeah. And we're, you know, we, may, we may get to 50-50, but, it, you know, we're not doing positive, you know, discrimination. Uh, mm. We're just trying to get the right people. And I think in in England, there's more female architects probably than there are here. Mm. Um, so it's, it's quite easy to get really good female architects. In, uh, in At all levels, though, I think, like quite yeah. senior as well as junior. Yeah, I mean, in fact, we had this thing um, where there's this, I think it's called the gender pay gap. I know we've come across that in yeah. the UK, but there's, there's been a lot of um, st- um, work on that where for some reason women are paid less than men. Um, and you know we don't understand how that really happens because we pay women and men exactly the same for the same same abilities. Um, and we found that in the bottom half of the office, actually the uh, it's actually equal, 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 equal. The top of the office, the top quarter, actually the women are paid more than the men. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> but that is that top that between half and three quarters, the men are paid more than the women. And it's because I think they um, obviously have families. And they come back, and they're only working three days a week, and they, you know, they're not can't run a project. Um, so there's that sort of there's that zone, which I don't know how you solve it, to be honest. Yeah, the, I mean that's the bit we, I don't think we'll ever be able to solve it. Mm. But overall, we are, you know, the overall um, part of make uh, is there's, there's no gender pay gap, just on that on that piece there is, and that's become big news in the UK, um, gender pay gap. So how do you deal with that actually? Because with um, we find that ourselves with senior staff who are perhaps not working you know the the regular 40 50 hours a week because they've got family commitments so there's a different structure in the role but then clients expect you to be there 24 7 and but these people have amazing skills at running projects like how do you deal with that yeah i mean it's it's an issue i mean we you know we don't we don't stop people if they want to only work three four days a week we, we say fine there's no problem with that um because that's, you know, if they've got to look after the family, that's they have to look after the family. I mean, I think some of them just find out, but they're working five days anyway, you know, but only getting paid for four, which is a bit unfair. Um, and I think that's the point. If you're running a project, you know, especially once on site, it's very difficult to do that four days a week. Um, and I think the, the only way we've done it in the past is to have a sort of handover. We'll have, we'll have maybe two people at the top um, of a project, which and maybe do more than one project so that you can actually overlap. Um, so the day that... Uh, one's gone away the other one's there to make sure they can actually actually do the you know make sure the job continues that day um it is an issue but i think you know it's, it's something we just have to deal with yeah. we've had we've had 106 babies in make wow so that's a that. lot <laughs> 84 buildings 106 babies yeah and more babies in buildings you'll um, have to do uh start doing daycare make childcare. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah so we've we're quite familiar with it and there's always somebody off oh, that's or, great. You know, dozens of people off so it's great we quite, quite enjoy it love it and then what about do you have structured mentoring programs or does that also happen organically 
Yeah, I think I think it, it's sort of organic. Um, you know, we're all in one place, we're all in one space. We're not in, we're all on the same floor. Uh, we're all you know locked in together. Um, so it's, it's quite transparent across the office. You haven't got to go up a stairs to find anybody. Um, and you know, and there are people who. As I say, it's project based. You, t- you tend to find that people go on to projects they enjoy doing. So, you know, housing projects, somebody goes into that who likes housing, you know, somebody goes into hotels who likes hotels. And they, and they, but it's very flexible. You know, you can move around. There's no, we're not structured in teams, we're not structured in sectors, we're not structured in anything. We're just, just projects. So you can, you can flip um, from working one person, one job to another person, another job to another person, another job. And you just, just you know, that's the way I've set it up to do that. Because it's, you don't you just don't want people in sectors or you know stuck in doing hospitals or something for the rest of their lives it's you know it's much better to be able to move around and i think we have specialists though we have a specialist you know people who just love sports projects um you know they are sports specialists people love education projects and they are specialists in that so i think we we might we might think about having sort of sub brands um in like you know make sport as a sub brand but it would still be under make but you know, there's those sort of moments in time where you think maybe it would help to have a the business card which actually had to make sports on it when you're pitching for a sport job. Um, you know, maybe. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> you just never know. It depends how big you get too. Like maybe that organization of, you know, into teams like that, maybe that is something that will happen in the future. Yeah, I mean we've never really we've never been above two hundred. I mean I think mm. you know, there's no there's no ambition to grow it. It's just it would be it would be based on projects. If we won a massive project that needed more people, would recruit for that. Mm. Um, and you know whether that manages that sustain itself over time. You know, at the moment we've always been, been around one hundred and fifty. It seems to work quite well between two hundred and one hundred, one hundred and fifty ish. Um, it's never been below one hundred in the last decade. It's never been above two hundred. Do you have a dream project that you would love to do? Oh, I think you know we'd all love to work on public projects. So you know, huge. Um, you know, projects where the people, the public actually are involved with them. Um, you know, so a very large railway station, a big museum, you know, this big, big gallery, um, you know, those sort of, or an airport, um, those sort of projects where you, um, you know, you change people's lives, basically. Mm. So I think for me, those, those larger public projects are where I'd like to go. Um, they're more difficult to get. There's, there's fewer of them around, you know. I mean... So there's one every decade, I think, on those. So to win them is quite a challenge. Um, but those those sort of projects, you know, really uh, fire everybody up in terms of making making us feel like you know we're doing something. You know, I mean, it's great doing private private work, private houses, and things like that. But actually, it's been much nicer to do more public projects. To ensure your practice is ready to deal with the challenges that the industry will face in the next few years, register now at australiandesignreview.com for the inaugural Business of Architecture and Design Conference, which will be held in Sydney on Monday the 11th of November 2019. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business of Architecture and Design. Join us next time to hear the last instalment of Ken Shuttleworth's journey through the Business of Architecture. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy, Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. 
Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.